what we saw was that um, uh, they, there's nobody here to be acolyte, so that means that there's no reason for us really to have a kid's sermon right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump straight into the regular sermon. Is that okay with everybody? Uh, it means we're out of here like five minutes earlier, so rock on. We'll beat the Baptist to lunch for once. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who comes to us to forgive all of our sins from the first to the last. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we're in the Old Testament again today for the sermon. If you were here last week, uh, you heard us talking about the prophet Jeremiah, who was having a pretty bad day because uh, he got up in front of all of the people and he was speaking God's word and their response to him was, you shall die. And the reason that they had that response to him was because he was telling them some bad news. And they didn't want to hear bad news because, let's face it, we don't like hearing bad news. Well, now it's much later. And actually what what Jeremiah was prophesying back last week has done happened. That... Uh, The people of Judah have been carried off by the Babylonians, and uh, their capital city, Jerusalem, has been leveled to the ground, much like the capital city of Israel, the northern kingdom, had been um, Shiloh. And it had been taken to the ground, and so now everybody kind of recognized, okay, when God is telling you stuff from his prophet, well, he's kind of serious. He actually means it. And so now we get another prophet. We get the prophet Ezekiel, who, quite frankly, if you read the book of Ezekiel, you kind of wonder sometimes about what Ezekiel might be doing recreationally. Um, Because Ezekiel has all of these crazy visions and dreams, and you begin to kind of wonder what kind of a guy Ezekiel really was. But Ezekiel here is put in the same situation that Jeremiah was. God comes to him and he says, look, I've got a message for you to deliver. And unfortunately, the message that I have for you to deliver is going to be one that people are not going to want to hear. This is going to be a message that may even put you in jeopardy. A message that people might rise up and do the same thing that they did to Jeremiah and say, you shall die. And so, knowing that, we jump into Ezekiel here in chapter 33, as God calls him his watchman. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak out to dissuade him from his ways, that wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man to turn from his ways, and he does not do so, he will die for his sin. But you will have saved yourself. And so, what God begins telling Ezekiel is this. Basically, you go and you tell them. And, by the way, you're not going to get out of telling them this bad news. Because if you don't tell them this bad news, and they continue to sin, what is going to happen is I am going to actually expect you to be the one who is killing them. So you have this opportunity, Ezekiel. You can either tell them about the bad news, or you can kill them. Which one do you want to have? And, you know, maybe, maybe Ezekiel was kind of thinking about it going, 
Well, if I just kill them, that's pretty quick, right? If, if God comes to you and says, okay, uh, here's a gun, and here's some bad news. You can either shoot somebody in the face, or tell them the bad news. There, there might be a little part of us, while we're trying to make that decision, that says, well, if I tell them the bad news, then that's going to be kind of embarrassing for me, and kind of embarrassing for them. Well, maybe if I just shot them in the face, that would be better. But we know that it's not. And so Ezekiel does go to the people and and tells them this stuff. But we do recognize how difficult it is for us to go to somebody and tell them bad news. To tell them, hey, I I don't think that you're doing right here. To tell them, hey, there's an issue here that, that you really need to kind of begin to resolve. Because this isn't good for you. And it's going to end up destroying you. And so that's how Ezekiel gets to begin all of this fun stuff. And then God continues. He says, Son of man, say to the cold weather. Okay. Say to the house of Israel, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and our sins weigh us down, because we are wa- and we are wasting away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? And it's interesting uh, what what God is saying. Uh, God is saying, look, I've heard you, house of Israel. I've heard you moping around and saying, oh, this is so horrible. We got taken by the Babylonians. This sucks. It's all because of our sin. And God is doing this to us because of our sins. And yet, at the same time, what you'll notice if you look a little bit deeper into that passage, you kind of hear what they're not saying. They're not being real specific about anything. They're they're just kind of doing this, oh, well, we sin. And so, because of that, we have this horrible bad life. And we get trapped in that as people that believe as we do. Because what we believe, and it is true, is that the reason that we have sin and the reason that we have suffering and brokenness in our lives as human beings is because of sin. And we recognize that it's sort of this nasty mixture of our own sin and the sins of other people that cause us to live in a world that is so broken. And what we've got here is this sort of generalized, sort of, oh, the world is so bad because it's so sinful. And God is sort of saying, well, duh. Yeah, it's bad because it's sinful. Yeah, it's bad because people are out there sinning. Yeah, it's bad because you're sinning. But what are your sins? Well, we don't like to talk about our specific sins. Ooh. And that's part of the problem with this series that we're doing, this We Reject series. And the focus that we have this entire Lent, where we've actually chosen something specific, that we've said we're going to reject that sin when we can, where we can. 
and get really specific about it. This is the sin that I am going to try to eliminate from my life. And yes, I may fail. And yes, Jesus Christ is there to forgive me. But I'm going to try to get specific about that sin. So that maybe I won't break as many people around me. And maybe life won't be quite as horrible for the people that I meet on a regular basis. Because I'm trying to reject this sin. But it's tough for us to think about the specificity of one of our sins. Because when we do that, we begin to think about the specificity of all of our sins. That's why I asked you at the beginning of the service this morning, what was your first sin? Now that comes from a the Gaslight Anthem song, um, and it's a fun song, but um, the whole idea of what that first sin was for you... It's interesting how you answer that, of course, but then also it's interesting where your mind travels once you've answered it. What was the first sin that you committed this morning? What was the first sin that you committed this week? And as you begin to think about those things specifically, you begin to think about all of your other sins specifically. And then you begin to cry out to Jesus going... Holy moly, I'm a sinner. I need somebody to save me. And that's what God is pointing out here. That we can mope around about how we live in a sinful world and how we live in a broken world, but sometimes we have to address that a lot of that is coming from us. And address the specifics of where it's coming from us. And so Ezekiel continues. Therefore, God continues to Ezekiel. Therefore, son of man, say to your countrymen, the righteousness of the righteous man will not save him when he disobeys. The wickedness of the wicked man will not cause him to fall when he turns from it. The righteous man, if he sins, will not be allowed to live because of his former righteousness. Oh, that sucks, doesn't it? That is just horrible news. Because that's the way that we want God to operate with us. We want God to be like, well, you know, you, yeah, okay, you messed up. But look at all of that good stuff you did. Isn't that great? Yeah, I'll, I'll let you in. It, it, it'll be okay. You're, you're still my, my bud. We're okay. Because, yeah, okay, you, you, you sinned once, but, oh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll look that one over. We'll just kind of wipe that one away, sweep it under the rug someplace. That's how we want God to act. And we also want God to act the exact opposite way for other people that we don't like. And we want God to be like, oh, 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 so, so you think that you're repenting now, huh? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to take that. Because you see, you sinned here, you sinned there, you sinned here. And we want God to then pull out that big book of sins that he's got, which it can't be a book because I, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that is a long, long list just for me. And we, we want him to pull that out and be like, oh, well, Jeffrey Dahmer, you say that you are, uh, uh, seriously, Jeffrey Dahmer, guy who drilled into people's skulls and pour Drano in there. We want God to be like, 
Uh, you repented in jail. Oh, sorry. That only works that way for people that I like. But the reality is that if that repentance, even coming from a wicked person like Jeffrey Dahmer and all of his wicked acts, if that repentance is true and that faith is hung on Jesus Christ, that that is how God acts. That He says, okay, you've turned. You're mine. We don't like when God does that, and the Israelites didn't like it, so I don't think that we should really expect that we should like it. And so, God continues, If I tell the righteous man that he will surely live, but then he trusts in his righteousness and does evil, because none of the righteous things he has done will be remembered, he will die for the evil he has done. And so God is kind of pointing out what happens when we begin to think of ourselves as that righteous person without any sin. He says, what you begin to do is you you don't trust in me anymore. You trust in you. And trusting in you, quite frankly, is a little bit of a dodgy move. Because you're a sinner. You're going to fall into these things. And you're going to sin. And just one of those sins is going to be enough to break our relationship. And so then God goes on and he talks about the, um, the wicked man. And if I say to the wicked man, you will surely die. But then he turns away from his sin and does what is right. If he gives back what he took and pledged for a loan, returns what he has stolen and follows the decrees that give life and does no evil, then he will surely live. He will not die. None of the sins that he committed will be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right and he will surely live. And we read that and we go, oh no. You actually expect me to change? Because that's what, that's what the wicked man does, right? He goes, oh, okay, I have these sins, I confess these sins on a Sunday morning in a Lutheran church, I heard the words of absolution, now I'm good to go and do them again. That's not really what God is saying here, though. God is saying, this whole business of repentance, it, it's a complete business. It is a complete turning. It's a, well, I got forgiven. Praise God. Now I'm going to try to not do that ever again. And not necessarily so that me and God can be right because I know that me and God are right because of His Son Jesus Christ who died on a cross for me. That's not why I'm doing this. Why I'm doing this is because I know that sin hurts me. I know that sin hurts other people. And I'm not doing this to save myself. I'm actually sort of doing this to save others from the sins and the brokenness that I might inflict on them. And God continues finally and says, Yet your countrymen say, But the way of the Lord is not just. But it is the way... It is their way that is not just. If a righteous man turns from his righteousness and does evil, he will die for it. And if a wicked man turns away from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he will live by doing so. 
Yet, O house of Israel, you say the way of the Lord is not just, but I will judge each of you according to his own ways. And that's where I say, this is the gospel of the Lord. And you go, oh, wow. But in a way, there is a gospel in there. There's this gospel that is very clear. And that gospel is that you know of a righteous man who is tempted in every way that you are tempted. You know a righteous man who lived a completely sinless life, who rejected sin on every front, and yet he was the one who came and paid the price of the wicked person. Who paid your price. And the reason that he did it was not to save himself. Jesus didn't need to save himself. He was the only person in our entire human history who has been able to live a life that has been completely without sin, that has been completely righteous, that all of this stuff that Ezekiel is saying, that it just doesn't apply. Because he is righteous. With no sin, with no wickedness. And yet he came into this world so that he could not save himself but so that he could save you. And in that salvation, then, you know that you get to be the righteous man. And you get to act like the righteous man. And you get to reject sin like the righteous man. And you get to repent so that God will reinstate that righteousness in you, in His forgiveness of you. One of the things about this We Reject series that we've been doing and talking about rejecting sin, it it kind of goes against the grain with some Lutheran theology because a lot of times we don't like to talk about actively rejecting our sin because we recognize, rightfully so, that Jesus is the one that gets rid of our sin. We are not. Because we'll continue to sin and sin and sin, but He, His cross, there's no wickedness in there whatsoever. And so it's not about our salvation that we're choosing to reject these sins. It's about serving the world in love. And saying, the more that I reject these sins, the better neighbor I can be, the better husband I can be, the better student I can be, the better boss I can be. If I reject these these sins, that I will actually be better for other people, and I will be mimicking Jesus Christ in that. I will not be saving myself. I will be serving others in love. And turning from the sins when I need to. 
so that I can be righteous for others. That is what motivates us to reject. To be like the one who rejected all sin for us 